Privacy in cyberspace. What are the biggest concerns? Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. We're talking today with Jeff Rosen, Professor of Law at George Washington University. Jeff, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. To get us started, Jeff, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work, please? I'm a law professor who's been writing about privacy for more than a decade. Uh, right now, my interests are the way the web never forgets, and the fact that everything about us, every tweet or blog or post, lasts forever in the digital cloud. But I started writing about privacy more than a decade ago, uh, right before the Internet exploded. It was in the middle of the Bill Clinton-Monica Lewinsky impeachment scandal, and I became interested in the question of why it was that it was possible to recover so much information about Monica Lewinsky, her emails, her uh, dress, her uh, private diaries. How had the law changed in a way that made that possible? That was around the time that the Internet was taking off, and companies were beginning to be concerned and interested about the way that people might be tracked and judged out of context, how a single snippet of information about them, their book preferences or the last thing they'd shopped for, the cookies they'd received online, might come to define them and to embarrass them. But what's so striking is how the problem that seemed uh, nascent a decade ago is now affecting millions and millions of people. Uh, back then, at the dawn of the new millennium, it was just a theoretical possibility that your shopping preferences or emails might be exposed to the world. But as the web has expanded, that's become a reality. And in the age of Facebook and social networking, millions and millions of citizens are living with the tangible consequences of being forced to lose jobs or lose promotions because of stuff they posted about themselves, embarrassing Facebook pictures, or stuff that other people has posted about them. So for the first time in a decade, my sense is that this is a problem that individual citizens are experiencing and understanding on a very tangible and widespread level. And that's why I'm so interested to be writing about privacy right now. Well, Jeff, you make a compelling case there. Social media has ratcheted up everything. So in terms of how you look at privacy in cyberspace now, in the era of Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, what do you find to be your biggest concerns? And I would say that in terms of consumers as well as business organizations and government agencies even. I think in terms of consumers and citizens, people's biggest concern is the ability to control their reputations, to be able to control what's known about them. Privacy as a form of control has always been at the top of people's lists. How much should we be able to disclose? How can we opt in and opt out? Can we find ways of uh, developing rules of consent? But the truth is that in the age of social networking technologies, it's impossible to control everything that's known about us. Uh, we just can't stop people from uh, gossiping about us online, saying all sorts of uh, things, uh, the fact that it's impossible to get posts and photos back once they're out there is a reality, and as new technologies, including facial recognition technologies, are making it possible to uh, snap pictures of strangers on the street, plug it into a database, and uh, identify them by name by matching them up with other photos, even our expectations of anonymity in public are being transformed. So I think this urge to control your reputation is a powerful uh, concern that's at the top of people's list when they think about privacy, uh, but it's an extremely difficult form of control to guarantee uh, through law or technology. In terms of companies' uh, 
and uh, government, uh, companies uh, have to be concerned about the dangers of upsetting consumers when they use information in ways that people don't expect. And week after week, we see some example of a trusted company uh, either accidentally sharing data that they shouldn't or saying something impolitic about how privacy is over and people shouldn't expect it anymore and provoking some kind of backlash that uh, harms their brand and, and reduces their trust. So I think as uh, companies realize how much consumers actually care about control over reputation, they're being more careful about the misuse of data. And government, of course, is uh, hungry for uh, data for purposes of security, uh, data mining programs in order to predict uh, terrorism and bad acts are widespread. Uh, the use of increasing technologies of security at airports, such as the uh, back scanner uh, technologies that are being implemented and the controversies they've produced are striking. And this need to balance privacy and security, both to engage in thoughtful, uh, predictive uh, data mining and at the same time not to identify innocent people by name, it's a great challenge that government is grappling with right now. Jeff, a two-part question for you. And the first part is, what do you find that individuals and organizations are not doing today to ensure privacy? Well, it's certainly the case that individuals make bad choices at times. We disclose things that we shouldn't, and then we come to regret it. I like to give the example of Stacy Snyder, the 20 five-year-old teacher four years ago who was uh, hoping to get a teaching degree and was fired as a teacher in training and not allowed to graduate from the teacher's college because she posted a picture on her MySpace page of herself wearing a pirate hat, drinking from a plastic cup with the caption, Drunken Pirate. Her supervisors accused her of promoting underage drinking, and uh, as a result, she, she, she was fired and her teaching career was derailed. She sued, and a federal judge rejected the claim, saying that because she was a public employee and her speech didn't relate to matters of public concern, it wasn't protected by the First Amendment. So that's a, a troubling example of just how a relatively small error of uh, posting something uh, that you think is just going to be seen by friends that ends up being seen by employers may have tangible consequences on a career. There was a recent Microsoft study that suggested that 75% of employers have looked at social media technologies when evaluating job applicants, and 70% of them have rejected applicants or failed to promote them because of stuff they found online. So individuals definitely have to be concerned about the consequences of disclosing the wrong thing in the wrong context, and they also need to think about ways that laws, technologies, and changes in social norms can help them minimize the effects of, of, of their mistakes. It doesn't seem fair that an entire career should be derailed based on one uh, indiscreet photo. As for companies, uh, they're also experiencing on a daily basis uh, both the dangers of sharing information in the wrong context that comes to uh, embarrass people. We, we think uh, just a few years ago of the example of the AOL uh, searches that were supposedly anonymized and re revealed to researchers, and then uh, people were able to identify the searchers by name who were understandably extremely distressed to find their uh, musings about uh, embarrassing diseases and, and books uh, exposed to the world. So there's that simple danger of just making bad uh, decisions about disclosing information. And more concretely, there's the fact that businesses are increasingly asked by consumers to 
create technologies of control. The, the great uproar over Facebook's changes and its privacy policies suggested that some social uh, networking uh, CEOs were wrong when they they thought, they thought that Facebook users didn't care at all about privacy. The, the fact that people were upset when they thought their data was being uh, stored forever without their consent and they felt powerless to be able to uh, control their privacy settings in a more granular way indicates that uh, businesses really have to worry about responding to this growing demand for consumer control over their online reputations. Jeff, I got to follow up on one of the points you made. You talked about business organizations now that are using social networking activity as a consideration when they're considering either external or internal applicants. Certainly I've heard about this from HR executives. How do you feel about this practice of going online to, to look at a person's online activities, whether it be through LinkedIn or, or Twitter or Facebook, and this being a significant criterion? Well, it's definitely widespread, and in addition to those Microsoft numbers about the U.S., it's even widespread in Europe. Uh, Microsoft found that uh, France and Germany uh, are doing it as well. European HR managers are also looking online. Uh, how do I feel about it? Um, as, a, as someone who's concerned about privacy as a citizen, I guess I, I can see uh, arguments on both sides. I'm, con I'm conflicted. On the one hand, you understand that an HR uh, person would feel compelled to find out as much information about people as possible, and why should they be denied access to public information that uh, others outside the organization have access to as a matter of course. On the other hand, it seems uh, that there's a great danger of judging people out of context when you force applicants to open their Facebook pages during job interviews, which, according to Reputation Defenders, a new firm set up to deal with this problem, is an increasingly common practice. Uh, just as in job interviews we ordinarily don't ask people certain questions about their private life, so it seems uh, like a breach of boundaries to uh, look at a Facebook page in real time. Now, I gather that some employment lawyers are trying to negotiate this complicated challenge in this way. They're recommending to HR managers that they not do Facebook and social networking searches before they decide to give someone a job, but after having made the initial decision, they suggest it's okay to go online to confirm that there are no big skeletons in the closet. And that's why they can't be accused of having used the search to make the job, the initial job decision itself. Uh, that's one uh, solution to the problem. Another more dramatic one proposed by people like Paul Ahm, who's a law professor at the University of Colorado, uh, is literally to forbid employers from engaging in social networking searches during uh, job decisions, at least in certain kinds of professions. There might be exceptions for especially sensitive jobs, but generally you could forbid these kind of searches. And indeed, uh, the German Privacy Commissioner has just proposed a similar uh, prohibition in Germany where there'd be dramatic restrictions on the kind of searches that HR departments could do. Uh, this might face an uphill battle in America just because we tend to be suspicious of restricting the private sector's ability to have access to public information. I'm not, I'm not sure that these laws will actually pass here as opposed to in Germany, but it's interesting that they're on the table and it suggests how widespread the, the, the challenge of these new technologies really is. Now, second part to the question we were discussing, we talked about what individuals and organizations are not doing to ensure privacy. Flip side is what are they doing or should they be doing to ensure their privacy? 
The most effective technological solution to the problem we're discussing, this inability to escape your past, to have a new beginning, uh, has to do with expiration dates for data. We need a way of deleting all of this information that's up there, uh, and it shouldn't have to linger out there forever. So, uh, for example, as Victor Mayer Schoenberger argues in his fascinating new book, Delete, uh, it's possible, technologically, for Facebook or for any social networking site to create an expiration date for data, essentially to say, when you store a photo or a chat or a blog post, to ask, do you want this to last forever, or would you like it to disappear after three days or three months? And indeed, there are small-scale apps that are attempting to do this, a very interesting uh, new application called uh, Tiger Text has been developed, which creates disappearing text messages. You can say that you want the uh, text to disappear after uh, a specified period of time. This is a effective and needed solution to the problem of resurrecting a world where uh, certain kinds of, uh, Paul Alam calls it, water cooler chat that used to be oral and would disappear as soon as people forgot about it is now being written down and stored for a long period of time. So I think uh, expiration dates for data are the best thing that uh, companies could do. How to implement it is tricky. Facebook is understandably reluctant to make it part of the platform, but you could certainly create apps that would allow individual users who want their text to disappear uh, to use that on a more widespread basis. And I hope that as this problem becomes more uh, obvious to people, possibilities for selective deletion will become more and more widespread. It strikes me, Jeff, as you describe this, that we have invented the permanent record that we all feared when we were younger and in school. <laughs> it's really true. I, we were told, maybe as kids, uh, you, you better behave or that's going to go into your permanent file. And now it turns out we really do have permanent files from which we can't escape. Uh, it's interesting, too, that this new uh, world of the internet, which is sometimes misleadingly called a global community, is actually less forgiving than actual real communities long ago. Many religious traditions have a sense that things go into your permanent file, God can read our thoughts, but if you say you're sorry, if you atone, if you apologize, then uh, your, your file is cleared and you get a second chance. And that ability to have a digital second chance is increasingly elusive today, and we need to think about new ways of recreating it. We have talked about this to some extent, but just to sort of articulate it, what do you see as the biggest threats to privacy today? I think the biggest threat to privacy uh, has to do with the fact that the Internet never forgets. Uh, the fact that everything we do and say and is done and said uh, concerning us is written down and goes into a more or less permanent digital file. That technological reality uh, seems like an even greater problem than the breaches of consent rules, the voluntary and involuntary sharing of data. Uh, it, it transcends the urge for opt-in and opt-out rules, uh, because the truth is what people want is not just the power to uh, consent or not to consent to a particular sharing of data. What people want is the ability to control their entire reputation, which is, in the end, an unrealistic hope, but an understandable one. So I think it's just the permanence of the Internet that's the biggest threat to privacy today, and that's what we have to focus on when we think about solutions. 
Well, it's a message we certainly have delivered to individuals and organizations, and yet we see this every day. People are being tripped up by things that they've put online or people have put online for them. What advice would you offer to individuals or organizations to improve their efforts to ensure privacy? Where should they start? Well, of course, the best advice that any individual organization could could get is uh, behave well. Act as if everything you do will be uh, written down and may go into a permanent digital file. But that's, uh, although excellent advice is not sufficient, uh, all of us, no matter how hard we uh, try to behave well, are bound to get tripped up. That's part of being human. Inevitably, we're going to make mistakes and say things we shouldn't and reveal things that we shouldn't. The question is, how do we uh, uh, escape from this, uh, these errors? Now, it's helpful for individuals and organizations to familiarize themselves with techno- uh, uh, technologies that can help this problem. Uh, Reputation Defenders, which I mentioned, has a interesting and, and uh, valued service, uh, which is to help people improve their Google profiles by essentially uh, uh, um, putting a lot of good information or neutral information about them in a way that crowds out the bad information and pushes it to the back of a Google search. That's a, that's a very good and effective solution. The problem is it can be expensive and is not uh, within the means of, of all citizens, so it's not something that, that everyone can avail themselves of. But, but those kind of uh, fixes can be useful. Reputation Defenders also makes the uh, excellent point, delivers the good advice. People should be aware of what's out there about them by monitoring their own uh, searches, by being aware of uh, stuff that is said about them. They can attempt to ask inaccurate information to be taken down, and in extreme cases, can Google and other search engines actually will take down uh, quickly uh, defamatory or inaccurate information. Uh, but beyond this good advice to behave well, be aware of what's out about you, try to be vigilant about removing false information, I think uh, individuals just have to learn to live with a world in which we're never going to be able to exert perfect control over our reputations, and in that sense, it's important not to judge ourselves out of context, not to allow a single error or uh, embarrassing uh, series of posts about us to define ourselves. And it's important to recognize that norms are changing. The kind of behavior that might have been disqualifying uh, for a job 15 years ago, people are now learning to forgive as, as more and more uh, individuals engage in this. Embarrassing pictures, drunken pictures from college, uh, which are caused people to lose jobs five years ago may not be as disqualifying in the future. But there'll always be something. It's, it's too optimistic to suggest that as society becomes more forgiving, we'll just uh, learn to uh, forgive each other for all of our embarrassments. There's always going to be some norm that's transgressed. Individuals are going to be tripped up on this. There'll be individual victims like Stacy Snyder who uh, run into trouble uh, with norms that they didn't expect. And that's why acknowledging the difficulty of the problem, recognizing that the solutions are legal, technological, and have to do with social norms, and and for HR departments uh, to be as humane as they can be. I I certainly sympathize with the difficult situation that employers are in. They they have to worry about not running afoul of the law, of discrimination laws. They have to uh, engage in due diligence to find out everything about applicants that they can. But by not being draconian and holding people accountable for more than they have to, for recognizing that we all do make errors, uh, that could help. In that sense, one thing HR departments can do 
give individuals a chance to respond to the negative information about them. Uh, one scholar, Jonathan Zittrain at Harvard, has proposed something called that he calls reputation bankruptcy. He says that just as in the credit context, every 10 years or so you can declare bankruptcy and wipe the slate clean, so you should be able to do that to wipe clean the negative information about you on reputation ranking sites and on uh, Google. And even if you don't go that far and think that you should be able to have a complete clean slate, if employers are concerned about negative information and are thinking about not hiring someone, it would be a good thing and, and probably a fair thing to give them a chance to respond, tell individuals what's out there about them, let them give their side of the story and put themselves in context. And then by listening carefully to the uh, other side of the story, employers may be able to uh, take a fair and humane response to this sort of information. Well, interesting that you quote Jonathan Zittrain in that context because I'm sitting here thinking that just as people should be encouraged to do a, a credit check once a year on themselves, they should do a reputation check as well. They certainly should. It's a very smart thing to do, and do more than once a year because you know how fast this stuff can uh, spiral out of control. Uh, and um, you recognize that there may be multifaceted approaches to the problem. You can try to give your side of the story. Uh, Google has proposed uh, a kind of right of reply on certain forms of posting so that if you think you've been misrepresented, you should be able to give your account of what really happened, uh, recognize that uh, law may be appropriate for really false and defamatory information, but just being constantly aware of the need to monitor what's said about us and what, other, and what we say about other people um, is a, a wise thing to do. Jeff, it's a great topic, and you've given us some excellent insight today. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks. I enjoyed the conversation. We've been talking about privacy. We've been talking with Jeff Rosen, professor of law at George Washington University. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.